Hello, my name is Michael Stevens, and this is Self Inquiry, a podcast by We Create Space, the wellbeing and empowerment platform for the queer community, supporting LGBTQ individuals with defining their own personal growth strategy and self identifying how to maximise their own unique potential. So, this is a podcast exploring the extraordinary life journeys of inspiring queer individuals. It's about resilience, awareness, and growth. We'll be covering topics such as identity, sex, relationships, purpose, health, and of course, love. Some of these short but powerful conversations are taken from our online self-care programs, which are all free to attend and available to anyone who wants to explore in a safe space alongside a team of LGBTQ mentors, creatives, coaches, and wellbeing professionals. So this first conversation is between CreateSpace team members Ben Pichi and Eduardo Gutierrez. Ben is a non-binary writer, content creator, and LGBTQIA activist. What I love about Ben is they always aim to uplift and educate. You can catch them delivering education and laughter daily via their legendary Instagram stories or their podcast, The Happy Place. So to give some context, the dialogue is taken from the workshop, What's My Purpose? Ben and Eduardo are discussing creativity and risk and how each have played a part in discovering their own unique personal purpose in life. Ben has agreed to join our conversation today and share their story. Ben, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. What an honour. This is my first, like, guest speaker role it's gone straight to my head i'm full-on guest speaker mode I will... <laughs> fantastic <laughs> that, that's that's the idea the honor is ours <laughs> right so um i guess the first question ben would be uh we're talking about um the stories we tell about our lives right our life stories how we feel about them how we can transform them um what can you tell us about your own story just a a, a trailer so to speak <laughs> Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll do my best to be to be brief. <laughs> um, I have that kind of narrative that I'm sure a lot of other people here will have growing up. Um, somehow different to our peers and those around you. Um, every day of my existence, I was made very, very aware of just how wrong it was to be who I was. And I feel that until I was twenty, I really lived my life for other people. I never really saw, you know, the benefit of answering my own questions and going, yeah, that sounds great. I never really gave myself permission to be me. And it wasn't until I went to university at 21, I moved to London from a very rural place in Yorkshire that I had my eyes opened. I suddenly, you know, I saw a different route that was focused on saying yes instead of saying no sort of seeing other creative queer people around me was the best thing I ever did for myself because it really allowed me to live my life fully. And from those days, instead of every time, you know, when you get a, like a question in your head that says, should I do that? Before I would have gone, no, 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 you can't do that. I've just consistently said, yes. I've made sure that I'm safe. I've made sure that, you know, to the best of my ability, I'm pleasing myself. And I've just continued to say yes. And realistically, I've not looked back since. And I'm where I am today because I 
put my own pleasure first, which I think to the outside world is like pure selfishness. But to be honest, I believe in the spotlight theory, which is, you know, that no one else cares about anybody else. So you putting yourself first does no one else any harm and is really where my journey starts and where my journey will continue to grow from. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you. Um, I was wondering, you just talked about uh, the sort of journey into the university level. And from what I understood, that's where sort of your eyes open and you thought, oh my God, this is, these other stories are possible. Could you tell us a bit more about how that impacted you? You know, how, 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 what, what did it feel like? How, how were those other stories sort of opening up new paths for your own story? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, I was in my very early 20s and I feel like I'd not had my teenage years. My teenage years were lost, you know, to bullying, to misery, to sadness. And when I got to uni, you know, it's one of those things. It's not like you're playing somebody else, but also you're being yourself without your history. You know, you go to the same school, you grow up with the same people. Everyone knows everything that ever happens to you and you're stuck in that past. But when you go somewhere new and a new set of people, you have the option just to filter what's gone behind. And you get to present everything you love about yourself and the bits of your past that maybe held you back before, you just don't talk about them as much, right? And that allows you to say, I'm this confident new person. And seeing other people also going through that metamorphosis, I suddenly just started doing things that I never would have done. And I, I remember for me in terms of visual identity and sort of my gender identity, it was looking at clothes as being genderless. And I remember buying these wide leg trousers from the women's section. And like, looking back now, they're the most boring things ever. But at the time it was like, lights came down on me. I just felt like this is the best thing I ever did. And sometimes we look back and think, well, that, that really wasn't that monumental. But at the time, that small change, that small question answered, unlocked so many other things that would come forwards to me that I would continue to accept and evolve into because I made that first change and that wouldn't have happened if I didn't push myself out of my comfort zone I remember I didn't I really didn't want to go to university at the first time and when it came to 21 I still really didn't want to but I knew if I didn't change nothing else would change and I think that really is um a really good explanation of why sometimes risk is really really healthy for us and why we should say yes more often absolutely um i was thinking that well we've been talking about creativity so what you were saying of sort of this exploring these other clothes and uh, do you think that was a way of being creative yourself and, and and sort of a way of using creativity to reconnect with yourself in different ways or <clears throat> Yeah, visual identity is really, really important. I think uh, mainstream society really, really loves to say that, you know, clothes, makeup, sort of accoutrements that we put on top of our bodies are vanity, are, you know, not worth anything. But when I speak to younger people in the queer community, when I speak to older people in the queer community, there's always that conversation about the way we dress, the way we present ourselves that offer us steadfastness and security because it's a part of who you are and on days when I'm feeling a bit wobbly or a bit questioning 
reconnecting with myself via my wardrobe is really, really healthy. And sometimes it takes putting a full face of makeup on to sit down at my desk to go, I'm in the zone to be me and everything flows from there. And I would say that accessing that creative visual side unlocks the creative side inside of me. And it's almost like on dark days, or for example, yesterday was Trans Day of Remembrance, was a really, really difficult day for me personally, but for the community as well. Having that comfort of my own identity to sink back into was really, really healthy to connect me with my thoughts and my feelings. And I was able to reflect upon that because I had this visual strength for me. And I know that's quite a, an odd concept to understand, but if you just let these things permeate into your head a little bit more, it will begin to help you. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. I like the way you talked about visual identity. I think it's very, very deep. It is very interesting. And for some people, it, it, I guess it could, have, it could be visual identity. To some people, it might be like the way they talk about themselves or the way they talk. I don't know. Um, um, let's talk a bit about risk, which is the upcoming theme. Um, yesterday, yeah, I saw a small monument here in Oxford in front of the library. There were flowers and there was the trans flag and there were sort of signs talking about the people that have been victims. It is a risk and the LGBT community, there's risks everywhere. What were your risks? I mean, which were the risks that you that you took? Uh, both, maybe two questions. The, the risks you took when that, that sort of transformation started to happen, when you were sort of beginning to explore creativity and the risks that you take today on a daily basis. Um, in terms of my journey at the time of self-discovery, my risks were really putting my true self on display. For so many years, I'd, I'd hidden away behind what other people thought of me and I'd put up walls. And so this was the first time I'd ever been myself around people that I loved and around new people. And, you know, especially family, they suddenly feel like they don't know who you are anymore. They think this change has occurred overnight and you've taken yourself away and it scares them and it upsets them. And when other people are frightened, they put that fear on you and they try and shift that uh, lack of understanding into discourse that you have hurt them. And I think that risk is something that I take on board every single day. Every time I meet someone new, every time I go into an environment that I do not feel safe, that is you know, something, especially for the trans and non-binary community that we face every single day but I, I I talk about this a lot we have to distance ourselves from that feeling because those are other people's problems and not our problems now I cannot take the sting away of the other the pain that other people cause but when you know it's not as personal it is easier to deal with and so mm -hmm. that's one way that I move forwards with and then in terms of risks that I take every day, I create content online, um, I'm quite vocal, I'm quite challenging to a lot of people, and it, it does cause difficulties for me. Um, just a trigger warning, I do deal with death threats weekly, I do deal with a lot of hate on Twitter, DMs and emails that are just vile, that no one should have to deal with. But I do it because I know that just being visibly present online 
could unlock the future for someone else. And I'm in a place where I'm strong, I'm comfortable, I'm confident. I can deal with those things. And my risk will help the next generation face far less risk. And it also pays it back to, you know, the communities that our community is built upon and the risk they gave to us. You know, I think 90% of our self should be for ourselves but when you are in a place of comfort and confidence you do owe it to the community to pay it back but you know that's just a little bit off topic but yeah no it was beautiful and I, I love the fact that I mean you started talking about the spotlight and talking about you know focus on yourself and and I totally agree with that but it's interesting that you you also talked about others and you know the risk that others might take in the future generation so in a sense you're not just thinking about yourself I mean, my, my point is that there's, there's no contradiction between what truly answers to you and what truly helps others. I, I think that's very interesting. I mean, it, it's clear that you finding yourself and sort of focusing in who you are definitely will have a positive impact in other people. And I think that's amazing. I think it's very, very beautiful. No, that's, um, yeah. so, um, so you think those risks are worth taking? Those risks are worth taking for me now. Uh -huh. But if you were at the beginning of that journey, those risks are not worth taking. And I think mm -hmm. that's where you split apart the spotlight and mm -hmm. you split apart caring for other people. Mm -hmm. I think when you are at the start of a journey and you've taken that step away from what you know, you've taken that risk, there's a lot of variables. And I think in order to provide solace and comfort, minimise those variables. So take less massive leaps and take smaller steps and eventually when you look back you'll realize that you did take big risks but they didn't feel like that at the time and I think it we have to put our safety first you know as a community the the LGBTQ plus community we are still very marginalized and as far as we go with one foul swoop it can all be taken away from us and where would we be then and that's when you go back to you did what you did for you and there was a reason behind it. I think what might be contradictory is that I didn't know where I was going at the time, but I'm here today doing everything that I love, creating podcasts, creating stories, being present on social media, writing my first book. I think somewhere deep down, that's where I wanted to go. Had I vocalised it at the beginning, had I written those things down, I might have got here a little bit quicker because mm -hmm. I think I've got confused in the past. So I think, you know, we can be scared to put things on paper, to write things down, to say it out loud because we're like, well, what if it never happens? But if you put it down at the start and then you do it, you'll look back and go, I've done it. And that sense of achievement will really nourish your soul. And that's why risk is really important. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing. Thank you for everything you've told us. Yeah, definitely tons of creativity and risk taking there as well. So, um, yeah, thank you for your, for your story. Thank you for being strong. And, uh, um, and thank you for being us with, uh, with us today. This next conversation is between Ahmed Mulahi and Daniel Pillai, the Canadian TV host and personality. Ahmed was facilitating our two-day virtual retreat and LGBTQ leadership program called Who Am I? And Daniel was joining us as a guest speaker. 
Daniel is the wonderfully exuberant writer, producer and media host based out of Toronto, Canada. He's also an openly gay man of South Asian heritage who, what I would describe as having a very healthy relationship with the colour pink. Daniel is always using his platform to uplift others. He doesn't shy away though from telling it how it is and sharing his unique story of navigating the trials and triumphs as a gay man. We had the pleasure of listening to Daniel talk about his life, his career, but also his struggles with his race, religion and sexuality. So we, we had a small chat two weeks ago and we kind of mm-hmm. started to explore and I had like an idea about your story, but why don't you just like for people who never attended that, um, that workshop, if you can just remind us about your story, if you mm-hmm. just introduce yourself and give us a, like a, a brief about your story. And okay. specifically, have what what was the struggles um, to come to term with your sexuality in the past? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, big question. So, I'll try to be as compact as possible. But um, I, I came out when I was twenty five years old. So that was ten years ago. And up until then, it was just a series of microaggressions throughout my entire life of these small comments that would make you feel rejected, but judged, but then you're kind of told how you need to be too, and just like a, a comment like, why, does, why do you talk like a girl? Why do you act like a girl? Why do, you, why do you like dolls? So it was a series of those comments growing up in my household. Um, I also, my mother is the uh, youngest of 14 kids, so, and they all live in Toronto with us, so I grew up with like a fleet of cousins. And um, my specific generation, I was the only boy and there was a lot of girls. So I was, they would always, I would always hear these comments. Oh, he's just like this because he's growing up with a bunch of girls. So that's kind of how my behavior was being validated because I was just surrounded by women. But I always felt very different in those cases. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I had a, I think it's a very healthy obsession with Bollywood movies. Um, and, you know, like you, I would always emulate these, cl- these classy, these graceful, these beautiful actresses. And I always felt like I wanted to be that. I aspired to be that. And if I ever danced or wore one of my mom's skirts and stuff, I was either laughed at because, oh, here's a little boy acting, you know, the way he shouldn't act. So they enjoyed it as a mockery. Or I would be shamed for being that way and then asked to stop. And that was usually more of the, I'd say, the yelling from my dad or being dragged out of a room, so to speak. So a lot of these things over time just made me not want to express because it's the expressions that were bringing this negative attention towards me and what was making me feel like I was being rejected. So over time, as I grew up, I started to just speak less. I started to express less and I just became quiet. And I'm a very expressive person. So I, it was like containing this really high energy. And it was always a challenge because I'd have a spurt with people I was comfortable with. And then all of a sudden, you know, 20 minutes later, I could be like a mouse, just very quiet in the room. So it was a lot of extremes. 
and I'd say, I, I do want to mention this, it gets very personal, but I think it's a lot of things that a lot of us experience, whether we're gay or not. But I grew up in a very mentally and emotionally abusive household. So outside of my sexuality, there was just a lot of that type of abuse where everybody was struggling to be something they were told they needed to be, but couldn't with my parents, mainly. Mm-hmm. And um, I was being sexually abused by my dad's brother as well as I was growing up. So it was just a lot of layers that where I felt like I, I needed to be something for people who weren't accepting me. And then, of course, I mean, the normal stuff at school. I mean, th- that was, I, even though it happened and I'd feel ashamed, I had my friends who made me feel great about who I was. So there was still a sense of freedom at school. It was coming home that was always difficult. So... And then I just woke up one day and I said, fuck it. And then I just told my mom I was gay. And then it's literally been that sort of don't give a damn type of <laughs> attitude since. What caused that? I was just tired. I was tired. I'd have body aches and pains. I was right. tired of not feeling like I could talk to the people I wanted to talk to. At that point, I wasn't exploring relationships. And that was an area that I wanted to explore. And I was like, you know what? The, why am I living for these people who don't understand who I am? Like, I'm just going to die either young, I'll just die young, or I will just never live up to the standard that they have for me. So wh- why should I even try? I'd rather just set the new standard. And that was my sort of identity at the time. And how do you feel about the new standard now? Oh, I love it. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, listen, I mean, even with that radical sense of acceptance on the other end, I, and then, you know, talking in these intimate groups right now, I've realized I've just buried my head in the sand in certain areas too. You know, um, I, I recently ended up romantically connecting with this guy and it was just really, really deep, but he wasn't out and I was. And a lot of what he was experiencing was immediately triggering wounds that I had not healed, that I had kind of just surfaced. And, oh, he, he's on TV now. Like, and I felt like now I was just expressing. Who does but, that remind you of? Uh, my level of expression? No, about that person. Oh, of me. It was a total of like, I, I felt like I was looking back at myself in that experience. Like it triggered all my own wounds. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm a mess in the most mm. beautiful way possible. But I just realized there was a lot of work. And then I end up in this pandemic and then I have no choice mm. what I felt but to deal with it because now <laughs> I'm at home and, um, you know, it's been a great journey since. So it's been a lot of extremes, I'd say. And how, how, did, you, how did you come in terms with it, like through this pandemic? What, what, what resonated? What was like mm-hmm. the, the aha moment that you kept on realizing or what other things that you never knew that existed? and they came to the surface? Well, it was definitely my relation with this gentleman. So I started to see some toxic patterns in him. And then I'd be like, oh my God, I, I did that too. And then, then I had this like light bulb moment. I'm like, oh my God, like, who like I, I didn't do great things, you know? So it, then it became this journey of going back and understanding where I was in those moments, whether it was trying to explore relationships with women, which I did do. Mm-hmm. Like my long-term relationships have been with women in my life prior to coming out. Um, just how I probably 
through the negativity of the sexual abuse and the rejection of my father and not having a great experience with him, how in the early stages of being out, I gravitated more towards um, men who wanted to have a bicurious relationship with me and not have a level of commitment. And that took me down probably another rabbit hole because I'd end up feeling very taken advantage of, like almost like a testing ground. They felt safe, you know? And, and mm -hmm. where do you go in these moments? Like what kind of behaviors that arises when you feel rejected or you feel, you know, that there is, there is this, this kind of sense of, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't deserve this. What is the kind of coping mechanism that takes place? Uh, food, mm. uh, mostly cheddar cheese and bagels a lot of cheddar cheese and bagels and that's where i'd go i just overate but that's before i even knew i was gay and i was dealing with my sexual my sexuality with the other things happening at home i ate and to the point where i was almost 450 pounds and how does that soothe your body you know i i thought i carried myself very well to be quite honest like it was evenly distributed so i did have a sense of pride there but I just didn't feel great after those moments, you know, like I just, there, it was not a solution. You just feel this urge to, you know, fill yourself up with something that made you feel comfortable. So I just go and I'd eat and I'd eat with no limit. And then afterwards I felt guilty about eating. And then when I felt guilty about eating, I felt guilty about the way I felt. And then it reminded me of that hollow experience. And it just was a, it was a, a cycle that repeated yeah. itself over and over and over again, um, which I'd say got better when I came out. You know, obviously there was a huge weight that was lifted, but mm. now it's become a habit. Whenever I feel stress or whenever I feel anything that I don't want to feel, like I, I have the tendency to go towards food. Yeah. And where are you now with this self-acceptance, with this journey? Well, um... You know, it's, it's, you know, like I said earlier, like, I mean, healing is a journey. Like, it'll never be a destination. You know, I, there's always, it's, it's a journey to self, you know. So I, I'm in a very comfortable place right now. Over the past few months, you know, I've really sort of analyzed this relationship I had with this gentleman and really used that as an experience to go back into the parts of who I used to be and understanding where I'm at with those experiences today. Like, um you know, being overweight and then not exploring my sexuality made me feel very ashamed about my body. So I'm really sort of sitting with that and understanding what narratives have I created to help keep mm. me single <laughs> and not mm. want to be intimate or vulnerable because it brings back moments of these, of this pain, you know? And another example I'll give you is that Every time I face a camera, like I'm a TV personality, right? I, my body goes into like a severe shutdown right before I have to, you know, right before we go live, I start sweating. I end up shaking. I end up with body pains. And Where do you think this comes from? I, th I think it comes from my childhood, just being like ridiculed for expressing myself. Um, being uh, the shame that I was made to feel about how high-pitched my voice was. Mm. But was when race I would, included? Um, race, well, I mean, I would say, yes, the South Asian upbringing doesn't understand homosexuality and they don't accept it. Mm. 
So I'd say that automatically informed my parents' experience of what sexuality should be. And of course, how they dealt with me was by, you know, trying to give me the attributes of their culture and the values they wanted. So when they probably started questioning my sexuality when I was a child, they're like, oh my goodness, what do I do with this child, right? I do remember them telling me they took me to a doctor because they didn't know what to do. Like their son is acting like a girl. What could this mean? And to answer your question about race and ethnicity, when I told my mom I was gay, I realized there was just something about her reaction that I felt like gave me an opportunity to talk to her a bit more. And when I spoke to her, she told me she didn't know what that meant. She didn't know what it meant to be gay. And I asked her more and she's like, well, they never grew up with gay people. And then she never realized that there was a gay community until she migrated to Canada. So, but by then she's like 30 years old. So you've just learned about how the world works in 30 years. You can't unlearn that in five minutes, right? And then you're fearful of what you don't know. So now her son's gay. Does that mean he'll be subject to hate crime? You know, will he be rejected by other social circles? You know, we take pride in our son. Will he be loved? Will he find a job? Like it led to all that. And that was all part of her upbringing, which was a salvation upbringing, very conservative. So I'd say in my upbringing, that's where culture and race um, played a part. But Mm. then when I came out, obviously you hit up the gay village, you go to clubs, you try to meet people. But then I'd be like one of two people of color in the room, right? And then I just didn't feel like anybody could understand that experience. Mm. So then I started going and speaking to a lot of South Asian gay men who created their own little groups where they could identify with each other. But then it was like so anti-white. And I was Mm. like, okay, I don't like, I don't identify with this either. Yeah. So then I just started hanging out with a bunch of straight girls that's what happened (laughs) i just ended up with a bunch of girlfriends so that's been my experience yeah Yeah. i I find it interesting as you jumped from one extreme to the opposite yeah you still did not find the sense of belonging yeah you know and 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 i think that is a very interesting realization is is not about which group do i go to but it's what what did i lose Mm -hmm. that did not felt that I can be part of something, mm-hmm. you know? And that's where I would look at that kind of traumatic experience and how does that manifest and how that, you know? But, but I think in, 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 in general, just realizing all of these different aspects and we're jumping from an extreme to another shows us the fragmented, you know, aspect that exists within us. And that's just a beautiful example you just mentioned over there. <clears throat> So here's my, my question, which would kind of be a bit challenging question, but I, I'm so interested to kind of hear your perspective on mm-hmm. this. Who would you be without the story you tell yourself? Oh boy, who would I be? Without the story. I mean, I, I think I'd just be a very carefree, happy person because I think a lot of the limitations I've put on myself have been through these stories of just trying to fit in in different places. I mean, I, now I'm an adult. I'm 35 years old. Like, my, my parents have no control over me whatsoever. They try, but they just don't. So now I'm just left to be like, okay, like, wh- 
and I think that's what this pandemic did. It's like, I think I have been my own barrier to self-acceptance. Like coming out was always described as a pinnacle, but I got there and then a whole new set of issues just came up, right? And I think, you know, I was under this impression that that would have been the point of freedom. Like we're kind of told that that coming out experience is that moment where you just embrace yourself and then everything is like chocolate and roses. And it just wasn't. Like a, it started to shed light on all these other areas that I still needed to heal. So if I never told myself these stories, I think I would have allowed, I think I would have been more of a free flowing person. You know, I- But are these really your stories or someone else's story? Well, well, I mean, my childhood was definitely, they weren't any stories of my choosing. It was me trying to fit the, the fairy tale, right? Because of what I was being told. Yeah. But then at some point, I think as an adult, I continued that story, you know? Exactly. And I, yeah. I made my own version of it, or I added yes. chapters to a book that should have been closed a long time ago. Exactly. So, yeah. And I think that's where I am right now. Right. And, and yeah. the reason why I brought it up this way is just to kind mm -hmm. of make you realize that even you without that story, yeah. the story from the beginning, it was not even your story. It was a yeah. story that has been told to you. Mm -hmm. And that's where I come to the challenging where we start to look at ourselves and the meaning we give out to ourselves is not even our meanings. And it's not even our story. It's the story of mom and dad existing within me. It's mm -hmm. another way to kind of justify that I'm still loving them. Mm -hmm. That's why we keep on holding these stories. It's, it's as a result of I am still connected to them unconsciously, even if we reject that aspect within us. Mm -hmm. And that's why I asked you this question is to kind of just kind of start to broaden your perspective and start to look at things from a completely different lens yeah. and which kind of brings a new meaning because our identity and label is always associated to a meaning which limits our possibility of knowing yeah. ourselves based mm -hmm. on that meaning. This episode's final conversation is with myself and Coco from Talk to Coco. Coco is a non-binary mental health activist and writer who has created a safe space for so many people all around the world to have someone to talk to and share their experiences, feelings and thoughts with, really. Mental health and LGBTQ advocacy are at the root of all her work, working with universities, dance collectives and also on a one-to-one -one basis. So this conversation was taken from the workshop Why Change? Exploring different tools and techniques for processing major life changes Coco and I discussed the intersection of sexuality and mental health, as well as the delicate process of managing major life change. Um, so, hi, Coco. Hey. So, um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we could start by just if you telling us a bit about your your story. Um, today's all about kind of processing change and harnessing it for personal growth. So if you could kind of tell us a bit of your story, um, I guess with a bit of insight into a major life event that you've been through. Yeah, sure, definitely. Walking. Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I guess it all started for myself personally with relationships. So I guess growing up, 
um, with finding myself in certain situations and not being able to cope with change as much. And I think growing up, it wasn't something that I was sort of paying attention to. So I find myself in a relationship with a woman from the age of 16 for nine years. And through that relationship, there was trials, there was trivia, there was hurdles, like all that usual relationship stuff. And then I guess as the years progressed, um, stuff started happening, I guess, that made me feel like it was myself and I wasn't really sure with what was happening, what that change was. Why was I experiencing these things? Why was I feeling these things? And I guess being in my first adult lesbian relationship, at only being 16 also, and then I guess being with someone too, also the person I was with was also five and a half years older than me. So I guess just going with this and thinking this is how I'm supposed to be feeling. These days, sometimes I feel really sad. I don't want to get out of bed today. Why is that? The next day I'm feeling great. Things are happening, all that kind of stuff really. And I guess I wasn't sure why I was feeling these emotions. And then with this kind of stuff that happened, I guess, there was physical stuff that used to happen within the relationship. And I guess, like I said, feeling all these emotions with all this change happening too. And I guess myself, I wasn't processing anything. I was just sort of, as we all do, push it under the rug, it's fine, it'll, it'll change without actually making the change happen. And I think for myself, that was the biggest sort of flip and change in my life of how I was feeling these emotions, what was happening, how did I need to process them? Because I was starting to become depressed. I was starting to have my anxiety was through the roof. I wasn't leaving my house. I wasn't socializing with friends like I would. Just all the normal things you start to see changing. And I guess you have people telling you, you're not going to listen. I didn't want to listen to anything. I thought people were against me. You know, those typical things when you are so love struck, I guess, kind of thing. And those kind of hurdles, I guess, kept leading me and leading me to a situation to where, like, this is a bit heavy for everybody and I hope I'm not touching any points for anyone but it took me to the point of where I was becoming suicidal and where like really impactful stuff was happening and I've been a professional dancer all my life I used to travel the world I stopped doing dance like even things you love and like you said Michael with change you realize starts impacting all these little things in your life and you think okay something can't be right if it's impacted everything I love so negatively and then it sort of brought me to myself to be like okay I need to make this change now to stop impacting the change that's happening that I don't want or ask for kind of thing so I guess so do you think that was more kind of actually surrendering to it rather than yeah. kind of, so probably a, this there was almost like a resistance and that was what was causing this this distress exactly exactly and I think it was the resistance of not accepting it for what it was because of the change that was happening around me because I couldn't cope with that change as well. What was I, it? So it, I would say, it being the relationship for me with my life and every single aspect around it being, whether that's my work, whether that's my friendship, that's my feelings, just not even being able to feel stable. I had no stability anymore my mental health I found was changing faster than I was and I wasn't dealing with it or understanding it. So instead of saying, okay, why is this change happening? Why is my mental state 
declining I didn't recognize I guess and it came to the point of me being rushed into hospital and such drastic change happening for me to be like okay I need to now change my surroundings and like a bit like Saul was saying earlier like everything has an impact so if you're not sorting the beginning of your story for instance my middle and my ending then wasn't going the way that I thought it was going to and I guess that led me into the change of relationships so I went from one into the one I am now and the polar opposites and I'm polar opposite as a person in mm. how I deal with things and in my growth and all that kind of stuff. Do you think there was anything um, around I guess when you first uh, started that relationship uh, I mean I don't know whether Saul is going to talk about this later but um, the pillars of our life and almost kind of um, ensuring that we're not trying to make changes uh, across multiple pillars so whether it's you know uh, family, work, a romantic relationship and I guess when when we come out uh, or start um, exploring it can sometimes affect all of those uh, mm -hmm. and that's where this kind of domino effect can, can happen and then it becomes a bit confusing because we don't know actually what is the originating um, experience. So um, you, you mentioned kind of externally how that was that was showing up and some of those internal uh, struggles as well. Um, what did you actually do to connect more with yourself to understand what you needed? So what I needed to do to connect with myself, I needed to really deep myself. And what I mean by that, I needed to get into accepting me first of all and accepting my change so my change period and my growth and my connection let's say with this sort of protocol of change and dealing with it was laying in a hospital bed I had just had my appendix out I had a wife because we were married at the time that didn't come and see me for 10 days and then I had this other person there that was showing me all this attention all this understanding so for me, it was connecting with somebody and speaking on a level of self-acceptance because I think with our mental health and with change, just the biggest thing I think personally is the fact it's so daunting. So it's just admitting and like we said, accepting and thinking, okay, now what can I do to connect with that to change the forward, the future? So for me, it was really deepening with myself and knowing I had to make those changes myself so it's all good for us to say, like we said, oh, it's because of that, or it's because of that. However, I needed to take a grasp of a tiny part of that just to make that change. And with doing so, I left that relationship. Yeah, so you mentioned daunt it was daunting. I guess that's the risk part. Yes. Um, so what was the risk that you were kind of, um, what, what did you risk losing or what, what, was the, what was actually scaring you? Yeah, I think the whole thing was scaring me was the fact that I thought that I was losing my support. And I think for our mental health, support is one of the key factors. That's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us alive in the sense of we need support. So I think for myself, I had latched onto someone and so many sort of negative emotions that I was used to feeling. So the anxiety, the stress, the depression, that become my normality. So it was daunting the fact of leaving and breaking sort of that chain and feeling free, you know, like shaking it off to be like, okay, I need to do this for myself now. I need to 
get into that change, put my big girl boots on kind of thing and like step into that. Yeah. And it was, it was daunting. And I think for all of us, we've all been in relationships, whether it's good to bad, bad to good, or just wasn't working for ourselves. And I think it's that change of everything's going to be new for me tomorrow kind of thing. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be by myself. I'm not going to have someone to kiss goodnight. You know, those little things that keep us going as human beings. We need the connection. The relationship is what keeps us all going as people. And I think, as we all know, if we were all just by ourselves forever, that would be hella lonely. None of us would, we'd all be depressed, right? Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. So I just learned, I guess, too, that relationships were super important that I wasn't realizing and I was ignoring the ones that sort of mattered as well. Okay, thanks. And how do you handle vulnerability now on a kind of daily basis? This is a good one. So I guess with vulnerability, it's more, how can I say, right? So I guess I take it step by step, day by day, because with now, especially, I'm sure we can all relate with everything changing in the world. Rules and regulation are changing daily. Our lives are all changing. Some people got a job one day, some people haven't. I think it's just about accepting that my mind and body will always be this way. So through going all these changes and all these sort of errors throughout life, it led me to not sort of accepting myself and believe in myself, which I got diagnosed with ADHD at a younger age. And I guess that was part of it. So like I said to you myself, when we first started connecting, change for me, I don't cope with anyway, personally very well. So with things that are happening now and being vulnerable, it's more me being so transparent. So by me being honest about myself, allows me to be vulnerable and allows me to realize it's okay. And I think that is scary for us all to give ourselves to people, even we don't know, the world, the innocent, especially because society tells us all we must be certain ways. So whether you're gay, whether you're religious, whether you're a person of colour, no matter what it is, society will always try and box us in. So I think it's just breaking through that and allowing change to happen and change can be a good thing. It's not always as scary as we imagine, I guess. Awesome. Thank you very much for that. That was no great. No problem. That's all for this episode of Self-Inquiry, but be sure to subscribe to hear more or check out our live programme schedule and be part of the conversation. Sending you a virtual hug from the team here. And even if you do nothing else today, remember to breathe, create space and stay curious.